plate. I uh, was talking to a lady this week, and uh, she was telling me about her husband. Uh, one morning, he had gotten up earlier than normal, and uh, he decided instead of her fixing breakfast for the both of them like she, like she usually did, because she was usually up earlier than he was, he just decided to go on downstairs and put on a pot of coffee and have his own breakfast. And so uh, that, that happened, and she smelled the coffee, so she got up out of bed. She went downstairs and started grabbing her cup, and she turned around and looked, and her husband was sitting at the table, and he had poured out a gallon full of those animal crackers all over the table, I mean, just everywhere, just all sprawled out. And he's looking through them one by one, taking one and pushing it to the side, taking it, pushing it to the side, looking at another one, taking it, pushing it to the side. And she looked at him and said, Honey, what in the world have you done? He said, I'm looking for the seal. For the seal? Yeah, I'm in the animal crackers on the box or on the tub. It said, don't eat if seal is broken. You didn't get that. Let somebody explain it to you later. It's, um, they're corny, but you know, they're safe. <laughs> That's... That's what we're shooting. That's what we're shooting for. I uh, learned that lesson a long time ago. In fact, somebody is here today that taught me that lesson to make sure that they're on point. And uh, real, real glad to have a couple of people I really enjoy, Dallas and Sue Helens visiting from the Newcastle Church. Glad they are here today with us this morning. And glad all of you all are here and those I haven't met quite yet. Um, I'm so glad and thankful that you all are here too. Just pray as we do every time. Uh, before Sunday morning ever begins, that, Lord, would you just use this to be encouragement to everybody who passes through the doors. Uh, let us not come into this place heavy laden and leave the same way. Oh, Lord, just let us be filled with your presence and approach life differently than the way we came in. And uh, before I get started, just because I don't want to forget, again, something I already forgot, was um, there will be child care for grief share. There will be child care for grief share. So if you are signed up for that and you got children, Margaret and, uh, and uh, uh, Jeff, God bless them, have decided to be the child wranglers for the afternoon. So uh, don't use that excuse if you think that you could benefit from this. Even if your name's on the list, just come on and be with us, okay? Uh, we want everybody to, to feel good, as good as we can, about approaching the holidays together despite significant losses that may have occurred in our lives in the past year. So please don't use that as an excuse to, to, not, to not be here with us. We are having child care so you can focus on what God has to tell you today. Also, I am, you hear me? I am submitting the information for the directory tomorrow. Okay, we've been a little delayed. It's taken us a little longer to get things together than what we, what we had hoped, but we are submitting the information for the directory tomorrow, all the additional pictures and everything. So that being said, if you haven't gotten your picture yet and you want to be in there, you want to be pictured, please, 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 Joel, I'm going to ask if you don't mind. He already took a picture this morning, but if you just sort of stand ready after service just out in the lobby, Joel's the one wearing the camera. So just go and, and see him and, and we'll get that picture taken, okay? Because we want this thing, we, I'm looking forward to it. Well, I tell you, it's going to be great. Just Y'all took some good pictures and nobody broke the camera. I mean... I think that's pretty mar you know, amazing. Big old group of people of us and nobody broke a camera. We're a pretty good looking bunch, you know. So uh, anyway, we look forward to that. So without further ado and uh, silliness aside, let us pray and ask God to be in our time of study together, shall we? Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us here today and giving us this opportunity to come and, and to gather in your house and to worship your name 
Lord, for your name's sake. For without you, our, our gathering is just a bunch of people. In fact, we, we probably wouldn't, many of us, know each other, Lord. Because you are the, you're the one who brought us together. And we met each other here through the common bond and unity of your son. So we ask, Lord, that in that commonality that we share in him, that you will just encourage us each by our own spirit, but yet collectively, Lord. Let us stand on the promise where two or three are gathered together. There you are also. Lord, bless us personally, but bless us corporately, Lord. Let us together lift up your name higher than than any other name to give you the glory for all that you have done and so that our our thanksgiving and, and our joy might be contagious and pass along to somebody else's spirit who is downtrodden and in need of a touch from you. Father, let us not forsake the gathering of ourselves together for when we do, we forsake being a blessing to somebody but also being blessed by you. So I thank you for these saints who have gathered I thank you for the spirit that is here, that is present, and pray now that your spirit will open our hearts as we open your word, that your spirit would help us to receive what it is that that you give us this morning through this word. Lord, let us not just be doers, or let us not just hear the word, but Lord, let us be doers of the word. Let us put it into practice, and Lord, in our lives, Where we need to be comforted, give us comfort, Lord. But where we need conviction, let that also be there too. That way we might walk in closer harmony and unity with you. And that our witness might be a bright and shining light to somebody who's yet to to meet you and know you like we do. Lord, let us live for you so that other people can see just what that looks like and how good it is to know that there's not just hope and rest beyond this place and time and eternity, but there's hope and rest in your son Jesus now from the, from the life that gives us so much turmoil at times. Let us be a thankful people that, Lord, other people might become thankful themselves. We can't be more thankful for anyone else or anything else than Jesus Christ. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you would, please open your Bibles with me for, uh, to, for the last time for a little while to Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. The uh, scriptures are in the bulletin for you. Uh, they're also uh, up on the screen. It works when it's on, is what I'm finding out here. There we go. It would help. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. And, uh, uh-oh... What is going on here? I think this might be last week's. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I was like, I know I did that. I know, I know I have worked on that one. That's all right. Just a little technical. There we go. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory. Hallelujah. Devil's not going to steal our joy this morning. Uh, but let's look uh, for, the, for the last time for a little while to Philippians chapter 4 as we bring this uh, sermon series to a close. Uh, beginning in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you didn't know it yet, Thanksgiving is this coming Thursday. I can tell you no because I hear your stomachs growling already. And it's amazing that I can hear it over my own. You know, it, it is, we are kind of in that prime season uh, of thankfulness, I hope. You know, we were talking yesterday at the men's breakfast that we need to be thankful all the time. That needs to be a constant posture of our life. It needs to be a constant posture of our prayer is, is an air of thankfulness we have for, for God. But in this particular week, in this particular season, we're focusing on it a little bit more than we normally do. And, and I think that's a good thing to, to re-spur uh, in our hearts and our minds the necessity that we, uh, or, the, or rather the need that we have to, to be thankful for what has been given to us in our lives by other people, but certainly by God. And when speaking of thanksgiving and, and the giving of thanks, uh, as we've been in this series together, I'm so glad the Lord changed the text a couple different times, the different makeups and breakups, and uh, He knew that we were landing on this, uh, this particular week and, and prayer, uh, particularly this morning, and, and the giving of thanks. And so I'm so thankful that the Lord has preordained uh, this scripture to match uh, this week in the life of our church, but also in the life of our country and our holidays. And so when, when thinking about Thanksgiving, and again, the giving of thanks, I can really think of no better person to turn to than the Apostle Paul. I'm so glad that, that we're studying this, this, this book and these passages because the Apostle Paul was somebody who gave thanks regularly. Though when you look at his life, you wonder why. Now, at one point in time in his life, he was one of the, the most dignified and recognized and respected of all the religious leaders of his day. In fact, he was so high that he was, he was in the Sanhedrin and he was, he was a part of the elite and he was charged with the dubious task, the, the incredible task in the religious order of the Jewish faith at that time, a, a prestigious honor, and that was to keep the faith pure by any cost. And that meant at that time putting into prison and killing Christians. And to him at one point in time in his life, when Paul was not Paul at that time, but he was Saul, this was an incredible thing for him. This was a high honor. He, he felt so good about himself, or he was so zealous in the law in his life. He was, he was one who constantly put the law first and foremost and did everything it said down to every little jot and tittle and comma and period. Everything he, he did to his glory, he was, he was living high on the hog. He couldn't be, couldn't be much better than than what he was, particularly when he was charged to kill Christians. What a wonderful task that was in his heart and his mind at that time. But as many of us know, and for those who don't, I want to just remind us of the basic story that happened to Paul on his route one day to kill a group of Christians and imprison them and persecute them in the pursuits of, of keeping the Jewish faith pure. He encountered Jesus, the very one in which he was trying to silence and silence his messengers. Jesus took it personally. He said, Paul, not why are you persecuting everybody else? He said, why are you persecuting me? You're coming after people that I love, so therefore you are persecuting me. Paul, you have made this personal. It's like someone trying to mess with your children. Ah, uh, you might be messing with them, but now you're messing with me. Yeah, this, this is how Jesus feels about us. When, when others cause us harm for his name's sake, he comes after them. 
Bible says, vengeance is mine, declareth the Lord. The last word is God's. He fights our battles for us, but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be some times of testing and trial. But in Paul's life, that came to an end when he saw Jesus face to face, when he learned that instead of really serving the Lord for the truth of his word, he was serving his own personal desires and gratification and glorification. And that just doesn't last very long with God. He only lets that go on so long because it's not good for us and it's not good for the world. And so in Paul's life, when he met Jesus, he didn't reject him, but he accepted him for he saw him as he was glorified. And the tables turned in Paul's life. Now once someone who was subjecting people to the worst of persecution is now being subjected to that same persecution, if not worse in many ways, himself. In fact, he writes the letter to the Philippian church from jail, from prison, chained in a contorted position. Back then, you know, we think of ball and chain sort of like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, if you know what I'm talking about there. They're hanging up on the wall and they've got the, they've got the shackles on their arms and their wrists. But, but in this day and age, torture was not something that was shy, you know, shied away from. It was fully embraced. And Paul, when he was in chains, was most likely in a very contorted position that was uncomfortable, that demanded no relief for him. You know, of anybody who should have been depressed for any reason in their life, especially when they're pursuing Christ with all their heart and they're receiving so much trouble and so much pushback, Paul, Paul had the right to be depressed. He had the right to be upset and hurt and not just upset with people in his mind and in the minds of us logically. You know, if something happened, is happening to us because of God, then it's God's fault. Now, I'm not saying that's right, but that's our human rationale. If I'm doing it for God, then why is God allowing this to happen to me? In our human minds, God had, or Paul had every right to be upset about his particular situation and to be upset with God, but that wasn't the case for him. He chose to take instead the high road. Even though it was difficult, Paul knew it was best. And this is what helped him remain hopeful and what helped him remain joyful despite his troubling circumstances in his life, and that was prayer. Prayer was the key for Paul to endure whatever came his way as he lived to serve the Lord. In particular, prayers of thanksgiving that he talks about in this passage is what kept Paul going forward. Prayers of thanksgiving, offering thanks to God despite his trying circumstances, is what kept Paul connected to God instead of turning him away like we want to do so many times when things are not going well. So I want to look for the time that we have left, or as much time as we're going to take, whatever comes first. <laughs> I want to look at the, at the charge that Paul passed down to the Philippian church. This charge to remain in prayer and remain joyful, I want to break it down and look at it piece by piece. That just as the Corinthian church was charged and encouraged by these words, so we might be as well, despite the circumstances that surround our life. 
Church, the first thing that we must do whenever we are posed with difficult situations or we are just going about everyday life is that we must choose to rejoice. And not just rejoice half-heartedly, but that we must rejoice always. Church, the first thing we must do is that we must rejoice in the Lord always. The theme of the book of Philippians predominantly focuses around joy, specifically having joy in the face of uncertain circumstances. In fact, in the opening verses of the book of Philippians, Paul expresses his joy time and time again because of the faith that he found in the Philippian church, that despite all that they were going through, despite how they even came together in their very early beginnings, that he finds joy that they are still together and that they are serving the Lord as wonderfully as they are, despite the hard circumstances that not just befell them, but was befalling all of, of Christendom in that time as persecution became more and more prevalent and more and more difficult for the church to deal with. You know, in the Philippian church, he finds particular joy in them because they do find themselves in that, those harsh situations, those difficult trials of life. They are, they are kindred spirits with one another. And again, this church is a marvel to Paul because they were keeping the faith when it wasn't a popular decision to do so. So when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, whenever he says this again, I want to say it one more time, when he tells the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord always, Always, he places heavy emphasis on the always, the emphatic in the original language. He is speaking primarily to the troubles that they are currently facing. Rejoice in the Lord always. He's talking about all the difficulties and the trials that they are going through. Despite what is going on, he points right to all their problems and says, rejoice. Despite what's going on, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Never stop, but rejoice in the Lord always. And, and this is that, that main nugget of wisdom that Paul wants to convey the most. Because you see, joy and rejoicing is a means of enduring persecution. It's a means for enduring hard times, rejoicing and, and having joy. They're a means for making it through even the most hard thing you've ever been through in your life. And if we choose to have joy and rejoice in the Lord despite what we've been through, it's going to be a vehicle for us to have greater trust in God because we spent less time questioning Him and more time trusting Him. He says rejoice in the Lord always and he adds at the end, again I say re. Joyce, much emphasis, for he knows that not only is it difficult now, but it's going to be even more difficult. But then he adds an extra level onto what he has commanded them to do. He doesn't just say rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't just stop there, because in the midst of their choosing to rejoice, they're going to have to do something very difficult and something that's very hard for us to do, and that's to release anxiety that we have to choose to release even our deepest anxieties, our deepest worries, our deepest fears. Church, how many of us know this great passage of Scripture? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? You heard that one before? 
Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? You know, I'd venture to say that, again, many of us have, have heard this passage, but how many of us have actually, actually put these words into practice? How many of us actually heed these words of Jesus Christ? We'd like to think that we do, but, but some days I'd, I'd say in my own life, I can't talk for you, but I can talk for me. It's difficult sometimes. You know, sometimes it's just easier to sit around and worry. It's just easier to wait. But nothing happens except I worry more. I become more anxious. I become more disturbed. I become more paranoid. I become all the things that God does not want me to be. He says these are, these are things I don't want for you because they're, they're not becoming. They're not helpful to your life. They, they don't bring you any benefit when all you do is just dwell on what you, you can't do. Especially when God is there saying, I've still got work to do on your behalf. See, church, if we really do heed these words, and it takes a lifetime, <laughs> I really believe, it takes a lifetime of circumstances and trials and tribulations to to build this in our life, that, that if we really did heed these words, it would not only be evident within ourselves, but others would take notice of this peace that we have found. The chapter or verse 7 of this chapter that we have read, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We will receive a peace that passes all understanding. And when people look at our lives and they hear what's going on and how difficult things are, they go, wow, why are you smiling? If they see peace where there should be turmoil, if it was their life, if it was just a fraction of the hurt and the pain that was going on within them, when they look at us, they say, that would just tear me apart. Why is it not tearing you apart? It's an open opportunity to tell them that I am concerned, but God's not worried. I am concerned, but, but God is not worried. And when we choose to, to give our trials and our problems and our hardships to God, we will not only be more pleasant, but our presence will be more desirable. People will want to spend time around us. And the wonderful thing about that is they will see Jesus that gave that peace to us in the first place. Church, we, we tend to think sometimes that anxiety and peace are things that can never, never dwell with one another. But I really believe that... Um, that in our hearts we can have fear. But yet our hearts can be covered with God's presence that overshadows any fear that we ever have. Any anxiety. Any worry. It's still there, but that peace covers it and brings a calmness to us that allows us to move on to the next thing that allows us to spend time rejoicing instead of being in the midst of sorrow. 
We, we need to spend time rejoicing, rejoicing over what God has done in our lives. We need to spend time rejoicing of how He brought us through pains of the and how He sustained us through even the most difficult of circumstances that we have faced before. We need to rejoice in how He saved us from our sins, and now we have a new life given in Him, and that when this life is over, we shall rest with Him forever. There is no time for worry. There is no time for anxiety. There is no time for sorrow when our minds are fixated on rejoicing. When we spend time counting our blessings and naming them one by one, there is no time to think of what's wrong when you think of all that's right because of God living and dwelling in your life. There's no time for these things, but there's also no need. For church, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. The 23rd Psalm tells us that. That God is near us. That, that He is with us. Listen to this verse. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, for Thou art with me, Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. I think I left something out. I think I did that on purpose. But I show that this is generally how we tend to roll with it many times. That yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, yeah, God, You're with me, Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's lip service. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know. And this is what we say. And we leave out a crucial part that enables us to be more than just lip service when we say this. That enables us to actually power past and through the trial that we find in our life. And it's these words, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When we rest and we rely on those words, when we acknowledge the presence of God, His presence drives out all fear. We need to read this passage, not just at funerals, but we need to read it every morning when we hit the floor. We need to concentrate and focus on it. Because church, the shadow of death is over us until we leave this old world. We are constantly overshadowed by that thing that's going to take us all. Did you know that 10 out of 10 people are going to die? Recent statistics are proving that true. I mean, 10 out of 10 people are going to die. One day, we are going to leave this world. It's part of the existence. It does, make, it does not make it good. It's not convenient. It's not always right. It's a reality of living that as surely as we live, we shall die. And what matters is the time we spent in between the day of our birth and the day of our death. Do we really want to spend it worried about everything that God could have taken control of from the beginning? Do we really want to spend it in constant turmoil as we wait for the shadow of death to overtake us? And again, I, I'm speaking to myself on this one. I have just as much difficulty with this as anybody else does. I confess that. Trusting the Lord when it seems like things just don't make sense, that they're not working out quite like I'd hope, or, or there's a long pause in and, and God's answer to me. But, but the reality is, is when we spend time rejoicing over what God has done, we will be thankful for what He's still yet to do. And we will say in every moment, in every way, I will fear no evil. 
I will fear no evil. Church, we need to say, I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. His rod and His staff, they comfort me. And so because of that, we need to release anxiety. We need to release everything that is causing us trouble and learn how to give it to God. We may not be able to give all of it at one time, but we need to ask Him every day, Lord, take this until it's gone, and then I'll give you something else. Take this and give it to Him every day. If it's something's trouble you, if you wake up in the morning thinking about it, if you're dwelling on it, if it causes you as it did one time in my life to get up in the middle of the night and to think about stuff, give it to God. Let Him have it. He wants it. Our troubles don't bother Him. They bother us. And because they don't bother Him, He wants us to cast it upon Him. Cast all our cares upon the Lord because He cares for us. We need to learn. We need to learn from the Master how we should and how we can release and rejoice so that our gentleness may be evident to all people that they can't help but notice God's presence in and over our lives. Despite this maybe being the hardest thing that we have ever gone through before. They need to see what it looks like to have peace in the midst of the storm. Because the world's not going to show it to them. They can only see it by those who have been given the peace by God. And so church, since we're not going to give ourselves over into anxiety, since we are not going to allow this thing to take captive, let's give thanks. Church, since we are not going to allow the devil to cause us to fear, to be taken over by him and the worry, let us give thanks. Now in theory and in saying, this part is rather simple. But in our human nature, we tend to overcomplicate what it means to give thanksgiving to God to the ump degree. We really do. We overcomplicate just how easy it is to give thanks to the Lord. So I, I want to break that down for you just a little bit. So instead of, of giving ourselves over to anxiety, why not rather offer prayers to God and invite Him into the situation? When we are worried about something, have we asked God to be present? Think about the things that worry you and, and, and say, have you, asked, have you asked God to be present? Have you asked God to be present? Instead of worrying and being anxious, why not just talk to God and give the problem over to Him and let Him do the rest? Have you, have you trusted Him with your need that He can take what you cannot do and, and do the rest? You see, church, it worked for the Apostle Paul during his persecution, so much so that he passed down his advice to the Philippian church to give thanks in every situation. And he gave that to them. Give thanks to God in every situation. As much as He gave it to them, do they think it'll work for do we think it'll work for us? Well, of course it will. But again, have we have we tried it? Have we tried it? Now a response may not come immediately, but God will give His His peace as, as the situation begins to, to come to ease, as He calms the storms in our life. But while we wait. And when the answer comes, when we choose to give over these things to God instead of harbor them ourselves, we will find great joy in our hearts because we realize that God fights our battles for us. That God takes on our problems headlong Himself. 
And church, that's a reason to be thankful. That's a reason to give thanks. And that's a reason to give thanks over and over and over and over and over again. Even when something new comes our way that's worse than it was before, continue to be thankful for what God has done and trust Him with what He's still yet to do. Because church, when we pray for God to move and we surround our prayers with thanksgiving, we remember these good things of God. We won't have trouble recalling them because God will remind us of what He's done so that we might trust Him with this new situation in our life. And as that new trial comes and as it unfolds, we need to begin to recount what God has done for us, what He's done for our families, what He's done through our church, what He's done as He saved us and, and given us a new hope that we, we count our blessings, and when we do, it becomes increasingly difficult not to trust God. You know, they say repetition really helps. I want to remind us that it becomes increasingly difficult to not trust God with our current prayers. When we call to our memories the prayers of the past. And recalling these times, recalling these prayers that God has answered, recounting the goodness of God and giving thanks for Him will cause us to have nothing less than peace despite this new thing. Because we stand on the promise of God that we cast our cares on the Lord and that He will sustain us. He will never let His righteous fall. Church, this isn't some fortune cookie saying. This isn't a saying of Confucius. This isn't some quip that we just pull out when we need a little motivation. This is a promise of God to cast all our cares on the Lord and He will sustain us. He will never let the righteous fall. And so as we believe this promise, why is it then that we're still anxious when we pray? Why is it that we still worry when we pray? And I just want to encourage you with this that I have found in my life. It's because I'm still hanging on to the problem. I still think there's something I can do. I still think there's something that I can be involved in. The problem with not casting your cares totally upon the Lord is that He doesn't have all of it. That He can't work in the midst of everything that's going on with us because we're still hanging on to the edge. That we're still gripping it and fighting Him when He wants to to take it on. But God would so have it that we would release it all to Him. Release it all in thanksgiving so that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. These hearts that we're seeking to transform to the likeness of Christ. When we spend our time knowing that God is in control of these things that we have given to Him, we will find that it is easier to pursue Christ's likeness because we're not focusing on things that we can't do anything about. We're spending our energy on knowing the God who has our troubles instead of spending our energy focusing on the troubles instead of focusing on our God who wants to take them from us. Church, we are promised that we can become as Christ if we pursue His ways. If we focus upon His Word, we will begin to receive the full embodiment of Christ. And to God in the garden, He cast him very, His very self when He said, Father, let not my will, but Yours be done. The most difficult thing 
that any human being has ever been through was the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The giving of Himself when He didn't have to. And with one prayer in the garden, He told the Lord, take it. Take it. And Jesus never took it back. He let God have His trial. And we stand in the midst of a great blessing because God took it from Jesus. Church, if we do this, though it is difficult, if situation after situation we give God more control and we rest in His sovereignty that He does see what's going on and He has a way out of it, church, this peace that passes all understanding will become a part of us. That rejoicing will come more quickly out of our lips than a question asking God, why did this have to happen this way? Church, I don't understand all that happens to me and you and, and the rest of us. We, cer- we certainly don't, under- we don't understand. We live in a world where there are more questions sometimes than there are answers. But church, we are promised that the God who knows the future will lead us as he holds us today. That the God who sees the big picture of the universe wants to take time to see the small picture of your life. That he cares about not just what's going on with everybody else, everything else, the most important dignitaries or most influential people in the world. No, he cares as much about any of them as he does about each and every one of us. And he's so desperately waiting to give us peace when we choose to rejoice that He has taken these things from us. And with thanksgiving, we walk away from His presence, knowing that these things that we can't do anything about, well, they belong to God now. I'm just going to wait until His good things come to pass. The waiting is difficult. It is trying. But He's promised us that that peace is going to guard us, it's going to keep us, and it's going to teach us how we can smile, even in the midst of persecution and trial. But it will never come. We'll never know what that's like until we trust God, maybe for the very first time. That's my prayer for you as we pray now, shall we? Father, there's a lot that goes on in our lives. But we know that, Lord, you see it all. And that you have promised that you would walk with us through everything that that takes place in and around our lives. You promised to be there. You promised to protect us. Lord, let us now take you up on your offer. You've promised to give peace. And we want that. But Lord, teach us that peace means giving it to you and trusting you with the response. Lord, show us just how good that way is. Even with the things that really trouble us. Teach us how to wait upon you, Lord, that as we wait, you promise to renew our strength. 
Lord, let us seek to be strengthened by you. Lord, help us in these difficult things. You told us that we'll have trouble in this world. We know that. But help us, Lord, not to, not to question you, but to trust you with our troubles. If there is someone here today who's struggling with a trouble in their life, help them lay it down. Give it to you. And if we can say that we're not troubled right now, good. But remind us, Lord, strengthen us for the next time another trouble comes. To rest and rely upon you. I give this time, this place, and these people to you now, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.